Yeah. Let's make some noise for all the dads. Happy Father's Day, all you dads out there. Amen, amen, amen. Nothing quite like fatherhood. It is an honor to get to lead a church like MCC that is made up of so many amazing, amazing dads. And if you're new to MCC today and you're like, is this their normal dress code? Like, why does everybody have Hawaiian shirts on? Uh, we want to do that to have some fun for Father's Day. We're going to try to do a group picture. Or so like right after service is over, all dudes in here uh, just come right up front center stage. We're going to take a picture. I don't, I don't know. It'll go into the annals of history as far as MCC is concerned of the day we all wore Hawaiian shirts. Um, there's a grill out there that we're giving away. You get two entries if you uh, have one of these uh, really cool Hawaiian shirts on. So if you haven't done that, uh, make sure you do that before you leave. And uh, we'll announce a winner. Kind of go on Facebook Live some point after service today and announce who won that. So maybe you can get to grilling this week if you got a pickup truck and you can haul it out of here. That is. Or you know somebody. All right. So today what we're going to do is we're going to try to press pause on our series where we've been walking through word by word, verse by verse for the book of Ephesians. We're going to press pause on that. We're going to kind of specifically lean into Father's Day. We're going to lean into a message that's kind of be a little bit more centered into the fathers of our faith family here at MCC. But I believe there's something in here for every single person who is here with us today, whether that's in person or online. And I'm going to pray for us. We're going to dive into that. Jesus, I know Father's Day may not be necessarily an easy day, but Jesus, you tell us that whether it's a father wound or, or whatever wound we may have taken on as we have tried to journey through this life, that we are told that by your stripes we are healed. And we pray, Jesus, today by coming to you and seeing your love, seeing your grace, seeing your mercy, seeing how you encourage us to walk one small step in front of another, that we can find healing that you, Jesus, you were separated from the Father so we could be connected to the Father. So we don't show up today as orphans. We show up today as children who by faith, for those of us who are in Christ, we have a Father. We know we have a Father. And Jesus, I pray that you would help the men in this room, specifically those of us who go through times where we can maybe feel like we are out on a limb by ourselves. We don't have a father here to guide us. Maybe their fathers have gone on to be with you. Maybe fathers are absent or out of the picture. I know this can be a hard day. And so Jesus, I pray you remind us that we have a father, that you made a way for that to happen. One who loves us, provides for us, protects us, and is guiding us every single step of the way. In your name, amen. All right, let me start today with a big, big question. Uh, I, got a, I got a very multi-generational room here, so there's kind of probably gonna be answers that are all over the place. I wanna ask you, what did you wanna be when you grew up? Like, think back to when you were little, you were little enough to dream big. What was that thing that you wanted to be when you grew up? And again, uh, this is a church where you don't have to sit quietly and idly by as I ramble on for a few minutes. Um, talk to me, all right? So what are some of those things? If you're watching online, put it in the comments. What were some of the things that you, you dreamed to be when you grew up? Pro fisherman, yes. Rich. <laughs> yeah, that was heavy, great. Um, don't care how I got there. What, 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 so, some more. A ranger, like a power ranger or like a park ranger? Both. Any other ones? Race car driver. Yeah, that'd be cool. President, yeehaw. Um, when I was a kid, the thing that I wanted to be when I grew up, I, I, I wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. I, like, I knew explicitly what baseball player I wanted to be. Mom would give me money to go to the book fair 
and I would not buy books. I would buy a poster of King Griffey to put in my room. A little bit after that, I watched Walker, Texas Ranger with my grandma. And I was like, I want to be that too, man. Like, you know, Chuck Norris, you know, that would be pretty rad if I, if I don't say so myself. How many of you were kids when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Raise your hand. All right. Anybody want to be an astronaut? Like that whole idea of getting into space and everything else. Like we got some astronauts in the room. So I did some research this week. It's actually really, 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 really hard to be an astronaut. Probably harder than being King Griffey or harder than being a a bass fisherman or everything else. It's crazy hard to be an astronaut. In order to be an astronaut, you have to, first of all, have a a master's degree in in aerospace. You have to have hours and hours worth of experience. You have to pass NASA's tests, both physical, mental, and aptitude tests. You have to pass all these things. And at this given moment, there's only been 600 people who have ever orbited into space. So let's just be generous and say out of the 7 billion people who live on planet Earth right now, if we're just going to talk about 600, the percentage of people who kind of are alive who go to space is this number. That's the percentage, all right? So that's pretty elite category. It's point zero 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 eight five seven one. all right? That's the amount of people that go to space. Now, if you go a step further than that and you go to Neil Armstrong, like how many people have actually walked on the moon? Even smaller. We added an extra few zeros. Zero, 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 one, seven, one, four have actually walked on the moon. So with numbers like this and the elite category that it puts you in to have gone to space or to even to walk on the moon, it basically means you're legendary, like if you show up at, at, at elementary school and it's like, what does your dad do for a living? It's like, he sells gutters. And then, what is your dad? He walked on the moon or he's, he works for NASA. It's like you win the whole playground, like ultimate dinner conversation, just crushing them all. Like, well, well I work for JP Morgan or I'm, you know, play center field for the Braves. I've been on the moon. Like, like you win whatever dinner you're at. You're legendary. And I think for all of us, when we were still little enough to dream big, we dreamed of not just being whatever thing you mentioned, we dreamed of being that in a legendary fashion. So for like those of us who dreamed of being a, a, a sports star, we, nobody, nobody in here was like, man, I just wanna be the backup quarterback. And those of us who dreamed of being a doctor, we weren't just like, I wanna save lives about half the time, you know, like if I can, you know, have a good week or two, kill it, you know, if it happens, it happens, you know. Nobody had dreams like that. Whatever thing we wanted to be, we wanted to be legendary at it when we were little enough to dream big. But we grew up, right? We got bigger. And somewhere along the line, we realized that legendary was a really hard target to aim at. And somewhere down the line, whether they said it subconsciously or out loud or not, we just kind of got to this place where we realized there's really nothing legendary about selling cars. There's, there's not, it doesn't seem like I'm going to live a legendary life being a manager at Circuit City. And what happened when we realized that, well, that maybe I'm not going to be legendary in this thing, is we also kind of realized that as I'm not going to be legendary, that also means I'm not going to leave a legacy. Because for some reason, we put those two together. And we think that in order for me to leave a legacy... I have to be legendary. But what I'm going to show you today, I want to walk through with you today, is that those two things are not the same thing. 
that you don't have to be legendary, that you don't have to have a statue made of you, that you don't have to end up in the hall of fame or have a park named after you to leave a legacy, a good legacy. I wanna show it to you like this. If you're beginning to take notes, I would say, write this down. Legacy does not equal legendary. And every person in this room, whether you realize this or not, you are leaving a legacy and you are living a legacy right now. I define the word legacy as this. A legacy is a piece of you that others carry with them. That thing you remember about your grandfather, that's his legacy to you. The way you parent because of how you saw your mother parent, that's part of her legacy to you. And again, most of them, I don't know your mom or your daddy, but they probably don't have statues made but they've got a special place in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. And there are many things that you do that's based off of what you saw them do. See, because a legacy is what people remember about you and what people will repeat that they saw you do. And same way we talked about astronauts already, these astronauts, you know, especially Neil Armstrong, he had this uh, amazing quote that kind of is like, what well, is lived on for, with him of, it is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We all know that. And what I think trips so many of us up that allows us to never take that small step is we, we think there's no point in taking a small step because I've already blown my opportunity to be legendary. So I'd rather just go make a living nine to five, watch ESPN when I get home and go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. And friend, fellas, everybody, I'm here to tell you that there is more to life than that. And God has more for you. And he is about us living into something bigger. And what we're gonna talk about today, the simple truth we're gonna spend most of our time unpacking is that it is the little steps, the, the one small step for mankind. It is the little steps over a long time that leads to a good legacy. And a good legacy is one where people see God. A good legacy is one where people repeat the things of God that they saw you doing. And it actually is possible to live this kind of life, but it's a one step at a time life. And we're gonna walk through, and we're gonna see these pivotal steps in the life of one character in scripture. His name was, when we come to him, his name was Simon. He later gets his name changed and it's kind of identity, identity morphed into a guy who we come to know as Peter, the rock, which the, the church was kind of led by. But before that, he was Simon. He was Simon, a fisherman. He was a blue collar guy like many of us in the room. And Simon was a guy who grew up in the same way that you may have had this moment in time where you realized that I'm gonna have to check legendary at the door and just kind of go make a living. He kind of had that same thing experience. For him, as a, as a Jewish little boy growing up, legendary would have equaled not being King Griffey Jr. or a doctor or an influencer on social media. Legendary for him would have meant becoming a rabbi, being, becoming one of the people who taught the people the word of God. Now, it's, it's crazy how society has shifted. Being legendary was what we would kind of be like, you're kind of a nerd. <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of the kid with, you know, with a, a, a pocket protector who carries books like this around school, like that's, that's what you wanna be. But in their day and age, being a rabbi or being a Sadducee or a Pharisee or one of the religious teachers, that was one of the most important, the best thing that you could be because you were looked at as someone who God had his favor on and was important to God. 
but I don't know, maybe he had a learning disability. Maybe he just wasn't smart. Maybe he just fidgeted too much in the class and they had invented fidget spinners by then. So he wasn't able to make it through. But as he went through little boy Hebrew school, somewhere down the line, we realized Simon didn't have what it takes. And somebody came to Simon's mom and dad and said, listen, we're not selecting him to move on to the next level. And he felt that rejection of going, okay, well, legendary status is off the table for me. Now I've just got to go back to making a living, which is where most of us at some point in our life find. And his version of going and making a living was being a fisherman, continuing on in his father's business. And so one day he's out fishing. And around this time, uh, a couple of days earlier, he had heard word that there was this guy who was showing up and doing miraculous things and telling people things about their story in their life that was blowing people's minds. And there were rumblings even that this guy could potentially be the Messiah. Like he could be the coming Christ, the one who's gonna save the Israelite people and restore and bring this new kingdom of heaven to earth. So people are rumbling. His, his brother, Andrew, has already came and kind of told him some things about this. And Peter has a, a day where he goes out. He goes fishing, doing what fishermen do. He comes back after having fished all night and caught nothing, like terrible night fishing. He comes back. He's on the shore. He's cleaning his nets. He's doing what fishermen do. He's kind of doing the maintenance stuff so that he can take care. They're doing this during the heat of the day. He's already done it. He's fished all night long. You, you clean your nets during this time because this is the time where you know you cannot be out fishing because one, it's too hot and two, the fish aren't biting during this period of the day. So we're gonna just clean our nets. We're gonna do our maintenance stuff so that when the evening comes, we can go back out and we can actually catch some fish. Well, this Jesus character shows up on the scene and Jesus shows up to him on the scene and he's kind of there in the harbor, so to speak. And Jesus steps into Peter's boat. He steps into Peter's boat and he's like, hey, you mind if I preach a little bit? <laughs> and Peter is kind of like, sure, go ahead. And the Bible tells us in Luke 8 that Jesus proceeds to stand in the boat and kind of use the harbor like this natural amphitheater and begins to just preach for a little while. I don't know. It doesn't tell us exactly how long he goes, which is why pastors take as much liberty as we do because uh, we don't necessarily know how long or short he went. So he preaches a little bit and then he finishes his sermon. He steps out of the boat or, or, or maybe he's there. He finishes his message and he goes, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. You can almost see this little smirk on Jesus' face. Hey, let's, let's go out a little bit deeper and throw the nets out one more time. And Peter, again, Peter's a fisherman. He knows that this isn't when you do this, but kind of like your kids, when you tell them to do something that they don't really want to do, he just goes, if you say so. And so they load up, they get the nets that they were mending, they put them in the boat and Peter just takes the one boat, which is kind of like signifying that like, I'm not even gonna do this all the way. Because normally when they would go out and they were really going on a true fishing trip, they would take two boats. They would kind of connect the nets one to the other so that they could have a bigger, uh, wider net so they could catch more. Peter just takes one net out. Just like, all right, man, let's get this over with so this guy can leave me alone and go back to preaching and I'll go back to fishing. But he gets out there and he has a miraculous, you've heard the story before, he has a miraculous catch of fish. And that's where our story pick up today in Luke 5, 8. Now, so when Simon Peter, when he saw this, he fell at Jesus, fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, which okay, it's just got all, I just, you just caught more fish than you ever caught before. And the first thing out of your mouth, get away from me. 
It's like, this is, this is weird. Let's unpack why Peter would say something like this. Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. All right, now let me explain to you why this makes total sense that Peter would say this. Again, Peter is a religious man. He, he knows scriptures. Every Jewish little boy had grown up learning the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, which pointed to this Messiah. And if this guy, Jesus, is potentially it, he's in my boat. And what Peter knows is that he's a sinful, jacked up, messed up guy who was cussing at the wind last night because he couldn't catch any fish. And so he is saying, get away from me. I I don't deserve to have you in my boat and you should not be here. What I am and what you are don't go together, which is where many men have been in their faith, which is where many people have been in their faith. It's like, Jesus, um, I know you're God. I know you're out there, but you're not allowed in my boat because there's some like, "This this is not a place for something as holy as you are. And I love how Jesus responds to him. He doesn't even say, yes, you are. And I saw what you said last night when you weren't catching no fish. He doesn't say any of those things. It says, for all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So everybody's mind blown. Then verse 10, James and John are there. Sons of Zebedee, they're all Simon, Simon uh, Peter's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, specifically looks him in the eyes, says these words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So Simon said, get out of here. And Jesus' words back to him are not, yes, you are a sinner, not chill out. His words are, don't be afraid. Because what he's trying to show Jesus is that he's a God unlike any God that he's ever got his mind around. He's a God that when this God shows up in the presence of sin, does not come to condemn, but this God shows up in the presence of sin and sinners and comes to redeem and restore comes to forgive, doesn't come to punish. And that's why Peter's thinking, okay, if God's in my boat, it's about, I'm about to get in, tr- I'm in trouble. He's coming to bring judgment. And Jesus' first words of his mouth was like, don't be afraid. I haven't come to bring you trouble, but I've come to pick you out to be one of the men I will use to cause more trouble for the dark side than ever possible. And he begins to tell him this kind of, cryptic, so to speak, phrase. He says, Peter, don't be afraid. And he says, from now on, which implies things are getting ready to change. From now on, you will fish for people. I don't really think Peter had any idea what this meant. Like he's like, oh, thank you for speaking my language. Again, we're talking to a blue collar fisherman. You will now fish for people. What what does that mean? How do I fish? Like, we're going to, I mean, like close your eyes and think about what that really looks like. Like, you know, with a fishing rod, you know, in, in this town square. Like, what are we going to do here? He, he doesn't understand the spiritual metaphor that's going on. I think Peter just realizes something different is happening. There's something different about this guy. Something so different that I'm willing to leave behind everything that I've been experiencing that is so the same. And I don't know, maybe Peter was just a terrible fisherman. We actually don't have on record any fish that he caught without Jesus' help. So maybe he was like, I'm really terrible at fishing. I, I don't know. Maybe he's like, I, I, I didn't want to be a fisherman anyway. I was just trying to make dad happy. And so he, we have record that they pulled the boats to the shore. They left everything and followed him followed him, not just believed, not just made this mental ascent. Oh yes, Jesus, you are holy. You are God and you forgive me. And I don't have a reason to be afraid when I'm around you. They let go of what life was. They stepped out of the uncomfortable and stepped into the unknown. And for all of us, this is like, if we want to leave a legacy, if we want to leave a life worth repeating, it is going to take this step, which is the step one. What is more often not the hardest step 
out of the unknown, out of the comfortable, out of my family's always been this way, things have always been like this, out of that into something where you don't know what's gonna be coming. Again, Peter is a fisherman, very regimented lifestyle. You know when the tides are, you know what's biting today, you know when the moon is doing its thing and what you need to do because of that, you know all those things. And Peter goes from being that guy who has a whole year calendar planned out for what he needs to do. Next day he shows up with Jesus and goes, um, what are we doing today? And some of you have been there. In those moments where you had to take that first hard step. And the truth is about starting is, is starting is the hardest part. It takes the most energy to get going, to get started. And I think what God would be leading some of us to today is to say, if you wanna have a legacy, if you wanna live a life worth repeating, then it means you have to actually get started. You gotta quit just saying things. You gotta start doing things. You gotta quit wishing things. You gotta actually take some of those steps and take the initiative to make it happen. And no, it's probably gonna be the hardest part. There are other people in the harbor who probably thought it was crazy. This right here is the Saturn V rocket. This is the same rocket that was used from Apollo 11 all the way to the Apollo 13 that eventually you know, got the people actually all the way to the moon. Now, what's wild about this rocket is this rocket, I'm gonna read this so I'll make sure this is all right. It, first of all, it uses 5 million pounds of fuel. And it uses 5 million, it has more than that, but it uses 5 million pounds of fuel in its first 150 seconds after launch. So 150 seconds, it's using 5 million pounds of fuel, all right? I mean, think about that with gas prices, the way they are, like that's a lot. Think about how much money that is, okay? They'd be like, can we borrow some of that? Um, okay, so after those 150 seconds and using all 5 million pounds of fuel, it's only 38 miles up. All right, so it's used 5 million pounds of fuel, 150 seconds, it's 30 mi 38 miles up into a 240,000 mile journey to the moon. So what this means is if you're tracking from the mass side of things, that means that this rocket uses three quarters of its fuel for the first 150 miles of a 240 mile journey. It uses the majority of his fuel just to barely get going. And the point in all this is starting is the hardest part. The first tithe check you write is going to be the hardest. I remember that for, for, for me in my life. I was like, all right, uh, okay, we're gonna do this. And then, you know, I remember not being able to, to go to Taco Bell and get that caramel apple empanada that I usually get. As a, as a youth pastor, I was like, man, I had to skip things. I had to do things differently. The first week of you volunteering in children's ministry, that's gonna be the week that somebody's gonna vomit on you. It for sure, that'll be when it happens. The, the, that very first morning of showing up at your coffee table or that very first morning of waking up early, getting out of your nice, comfortable, cool bed in the middle of the summer, that the very first morning of getting up and do that, that is not gonna be easy. It's gonna be hard. Your very first time of going through a hard day's work and not grabbing hard alcohol at the end of that day, that's not gonna be easy. The first step of heading in the right direction is never an easy step, but it is the best step because it propels you into and makes it possible now that you are on this track, that you are locked in, that you are following in with Jesus. Now that you're there and you've taken that first step of faith, now the God of unlimited possibilities is working and orchestrating simultaneously alongside of you this faith. And that allows miracles to actually happen.
we see one of these miracles take place. Jesus is, is hanging out with Peter and the guys and they begin to go and do some things. They begin to learn some things. Peter begins to see that this guy is the real deal. Peter even kind of gets elevated into this leadership role. One day they're out and they're hanging out with all the crowds and Jesus sends them out to go across the sea. And he says, I'm gonna stay back and I'm gonna pray. You guys go on a cross. I'm gonna stay here. You guys go there. They get out, a big storm hits up on the water. Maybe you've heard a little bit of this story. A big storm kicks up. Jesus is like, yeah, I guess I'll go get them. <laughs> and so Jesus, he just you know, starts walking on water casually, gets out there to him. They think he's a ghost halfway. They're like, oh, they think he's a ghost. Jesus is like, chill out, I'm not a ghost. That's not yet, that's Acts 2. We'll get there to the ghost. And he gets out there. And then we see this guy, Peter, which obviously Jesus picked him for a reason. God knows what he's doing. He's got some boldness in him. He's got some leadership capabilities in him. He gets out there and he asks Jesus, can I get out there where you're at? Can I do what you're doing? And look what Jesus says. I would love to know what Jesus thought, but Jesus said, come, short and sweet. Come, he said. And then Peter got down on the boat and walked on the water. Now, this is so cool. I never made this connection. When Peter first followed Jesus, he got out of a boat. And what did he get onto? No, 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 no. When he got out of the boat the very first time, right? The story I just read you, remember? 13 minutes ago. <laughs> when he got out of the boat the first time, they were in the boat, all right? They pulled the boat out of the water back onto shore and he gets out of a boat and begins to walk on dry land. Now, is that natural or supernatural? That's natural, all right? First step of faith is gonna be just this supernatural on the inside, probably natural on the outside. Second step of faith, and if, if I went around the room and I sat down with coffee with every single one of you and I said, tell me your testimony. Somewhere along most people's testimonies is something that's impossible. Some big, crazy step. The people who, in my opinion, will actually leave a legacy worth repeating. They're over and over and over again, people who have some story of this impossible step that if God didn't come through in this, nothing good was like, it was only God. And this is it for Peter. See, his first step was step out of the boat onto water. His second step, significant step was step out of the boat on the water, a place where your feet are not supposed to go. It's one thing to step out on the land. It's a whole different thing to step out on the water. And he walked on water for a little while. You know the story. He came toward Jesus, but he saw the wind and he was afraid. Remember the last time he was in a boat too? Same deal, fear. He was afraid. He's beginning to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reached down, you know the story. He reached down, picks him up, puts him back in the boat. He says, oh, you guys got such little faith. But I mean, I, to, to, to be real though, I got to think that, man, if I'm Peter, I'm at least going like after I draw off, like, you guys remember what I did? Like, did y'all see that? Let's go. I got out there. Then, you know, Bartholomew was like, but then you started to drown, you know? <laughs> So it's, you know, that, that happens and you, know, you fast forward. And again, this is kind of how we track our story. If we want to leave, leave a good legacy, we're going to have to take the first step. We're going to have to take the crazy step too. The step that, that doesn't make sense. And if I was to track your life, I know you have one. My, mine for me, that was the crazy step that didn't make sense was the step of forgiving my dad and being able to see the, him take his crazy step of getting clean and sober. I still have the story in my mind in HD clarity at this point in my life, my dad was full headlong into drug and alcohol addiction and, and not just like, you know, I drink a beer on the weekends, like I'm hard drugs, hard narcotics. 
And after him and my mom got divorced, he had spun out into this. This is about the time I'm a sophomore in college. And when he ran out of the ability to stay at whoever's house, he was kind of on whatever bender he was on. When he ran out of the ability to stay there, he would come back to Noonan and stay at my grandparents' house. And this particular Sunday, we actually happened to be at the house at the same time. And I'm there. He stays kind of in the living room. I kind of stay out in the sunroom in the kitchen with my grandparents. I just spend time with him. I don't go talk to him. We, we say no words to each other. He doesn't come talk to me. I don't come talk to him. And we, I think we both kind of liked it that way because he was... I didn't want, at that point in time, I was in Bible college. So um, out loud, I had to say, I forgive him and I don't hate him. But on my inside, let me just be really honest with you guys. I hated him and I hadn't forgiven him. What I had just done is I had just become numb. And I said, I don't care because that's what the world up until that point, and, and really this is nothing has changed. The world tells you that your measure of a man is not how much good you can do. The, me, the true measure of man in society in 2022 is how little you can care. Well, I can care. I could care less if that's my kid. I could care less what you think about me. I could care less if I do this. I could care less what you think about what I wear. I could care less about what you think about whatever. The, whoever can care the least about whatever it is, that's the manliest guy in the room. I don't care what people think about me. Mm-hmm. And I just got to the place where I was like, I'm numb. And I, I get in my Toyota Camry, uh, get ready to go leave. And the Holy Spirit just gets all up in the Toyota Camry with me about, th- about, about three minutes away from the house. And this, this overwhelming sense of gratitude comes over me that I need to go back and I, t- I, need to, I need to go tell my grandparents that I'm thankful for the love that they've given me. And I don't know how long they're gonna be here on earth. I, I'd like this overwhelming sense of gratitude and love for my grandparents came over me in that moment. And I just turned the car around. I went back and, and I walked in and, and I'm, all, I'm already crying as I walk in the door. I slide open the sliding glass door and I, and I walk into the sunroom where both of them are at. And I just, I just start, you know, kind of through tears choking out, just going, I'm just so thankful for you guys. I wouldn't be the man I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this. I'm just so thankful for the love that you guys gave me from, from the very beginning. I just, I thank you for all of it. And I hug my granddad's neck, hug my grandma. And then my grandma sits back down in her um, old lady recliner and she looks back up at me and she goes, Trent, your dad needs to know that you love him and you forgive him. And I'm like, why did you have to ruin this moment? <laughs> like, this was so good until you said that. You know, you ever been in a room where somebody just dropped, they just roll, like it's going so good and they just roll a grenade out into the middle of the room and just blows up the moment. And that's what I felt in that moment. But what I thought was the Holy Spirit going, hey, go in and, and give them this gratitude was really the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I wanna go work on this forgiveness thing that you don't have in your heart. And, and a God in a loving way who knows that he's only gonna forgive me as he sees me forgive others going, hey, I, I, I wanna forgive you all the way. So I need you to forgive all the way. And sends me into this moment where combo of, Holy Spirit, grandma wisdom and what God was doing in my own heart. I just said, and this is really where my heart was at, whatever. I don't think that's gonna change. In my mind, I'd already made up that, man, I had made up in my mind that there was likely not gonna be any reconciliation ever between me and my dad. I just kind of made up in my mind that the next significant thing that's gonna happen is him gonna be uh, overdosing. And that'll be, I just kind of made up my mind that like, like life was not gonna be with him as a part of it. And I go in there and I, I hug his neck and I look him in the eyes and I just say, dad, I love you and dad, I forgive you. And I walk out of the room, tears, just boogers everywhere. I go and I get back in the Toyota Camry and this time I make it all the way to college. Well, uh, about six, six or so months pass and I'm, I'm moving back into college after winter break and I get this phone call from my dad, um, flip phone, uh, open up my flip phone and it's him. 
And he says, hey, I want you to know that you're probably not going to hear from me uh, for a while, to which I was like, what else is new? Um, again, I didn't say that out loud. I was trying to be respectful as much as I could. Um, because, you know, like six months has passed. I told you I loved you. I told you I forgave you. I did the thing that a kid's not supposed to do, that the son is not supposed to do. Like I tried to be a bridge builder, and, and, and I, but I can't build the whole thing. You've got to work your way. And if many of you in this room, many, many, young, many men in this room, you've been here where you're like, the dad screwed this up. The grown-up screwed this up. I'm the kid in the situation. Why am I fixing this? We've been there. And for those six months, that's kind of what I wrestled with. Like, well, you know, that didn't do any good. And I, I was still kind of just like, you know, well, at least he knows. And he called me and he, and he said, hey, um, don't you know you're going to hear from me for a while. Um, what I'm doing is I, I know I got to get better. I'm, I'm going to rehab and I'm, I'm committing. I'm, I'm, we're actually leaving tomorrow to go. And, and I, I praise God. The, the, the really awesome part of the story is from that moment before my dad did go to rehab and God did begin to redeem and restore our relationship. And he set him free from that bondage of, of addiction to, to substances. And he set him free from that. And what was crazy is like, I, I still didn't know, like, w- did I put, like, was there any part, like what was going on and all that? Like, you know, good. Awesome. I, I really don't even need a part. Like, I just want you to be clean. I want you to be different. I, I want you to be better for my sister and for me. And I want you to be different for yourself because I, I know deep down inside, you, you're not just a bad person. You're a person who was wrestling with addiction and it, it had its fingernails all the way in you and I wanted you to be set free. He began to experience that. And then fast forward a few years later, um, he got cancer, stage four, very aggressive cancer. He's in the hospital getting ready to have um, some organs taken out. And I remember sitting there with him in the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's, uh, he's telling the nurse's testimony. And he's sharing the story about how he overcame addiction. And he starts to reference back to this time when he was in the living room. And he kind of points across the hospital room. He says, and my son over there, he told me he loves me and he forgives me at the bottom of my addiction. And I'd love to tell you that I got better after that, but I actually got worse. But every time I would use after that, I could not get his voice out of my head saying, I love you and I forgive you. And eventually I got to a place where I either realized I'm either going to accept the love and forgiveness of my heavenly father that my son told me was available or I'm going to die and I don't want to die. And I'm sitting on the other side of a hospital room just going like, you couldn't have told me this like like a little while ago. Like this is that's pretty cool. Like, but again, I guess God has His timing. You know, me and my dad, we were just like if, at the end of the day, man, we were just like always on different wavelengths, and and that was one of those moments. But again, like God works through that, and I was just like, wow, this thing that I thought impo- thought was impossible, the impossible step that I took actually lead to you taking impossible step too. And I would say that's usually how it works whatever that impossible step it is that you know God may be leading you to, that God may be calling you to, you're probably not the only one who's gonna benefit from that. It may not be your father, it may be your kids. You breaking um, out of this addiction that you have may be what changes your kids from ever being people who experience that. You taking a job that will not ruin your ability to tuck them into bed ever may be one of the things that saves them from a world of trouble. You committing to purity, even in singleness, it may be what radically prepares you for a future that you had no idea was made possible. But I know right now it probably seems impossible to be someone who could do those things.
and make those things happen. So with every story, you're going to have a baby step, the first step. You're going to have a big that seems impossible step. And then with every story as well, you're going to have a misstep. We see this in Peter's life. Things are going really good. He gets this, some really mountaintop with Jesus moments. Like literally there's one crazy one where he's literally on top of what the story is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Like he's on top of the mountain with two other disciples and Jesus. And then Elijah and Moses show up in this big giant class, crazy story, go read about it. And then God comes down in this big presence of a cloud. And again, Peter's doing Peter things like kind of stupid. He's like, hey, this is a really cool moment. Should I start building tents? And like God has to like take his finger and put it right on his lips and be like, shh. This is not about you building tents. It's about my son. Just take all this in. Just count yourself lucky to be here in this moment. So he has some mountaintop moments and they have this Passover meal. And before the Passover meal starts, Jesus takes off his outer garments and he puts on a towel around his waist and he begins to start washing the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. And again, Peter's still got a little bit of fisherman in him. And he's like, the same way he was like, no, you're not allowed in my boat. He's like, you're not allowed on my toes. You can't do like, this is not for you to do. You're, you're God. I, I, believe, I fully believe you are God in flesh and you're not cleaning in between my toes. And Jesus tells him very, specific, very explicitly, if unless I wash you, you don't have no part with me. And, and again, Peter being Peter is like, whole body then, head to toe, let's get it. And Jesus is like, chill out. I just got to wash your feet. <laughs> it's a funny story. And they go from there, they have the Passover meal. And then Jesus begins to kind of make Passover different than it had ever been before. And he says, this cup actually, um, it represents my blood that's getting ready to be poured out for you. And this bread that he takes and breaks, he says, this is gonna be my body and it's gonna be broken for you. To which everybody around the table is going like, what? And he says, somebody's gonna betray me and they're gonna hand me over to the rulers and authorities and they're gonna put me on a cross and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be hung on a cross. I'm gonna be crucified for you guys and for the whole entire world. And then I'm gonna rise again. He tells him all this is gonna happen. And Peter is one of the guys in the room who speaks up and goes, <coughs> no, that is definitely not gonna happen. Listen, Jesus, just between me and you, all these other guys may betray you. I got you, Jesus. Like I would never, ever, even if there's a fire, betray you, Jesus. And Jesus knows Peter. And he says, Peter, actually, sir, before the rooster crows three times a night, you are going to deny me. And a legion of Roman guards show up there in the Garden of Gethsemane where they've been praying. Chaos ensues. Peter does try to kind of step in. We have this crazy story about him pulling a sword off, pulling a sword out and cutting a dude's ear off, which again, that's some Father's Day stuff right there. Um, cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus is like, chill out. If I wanted to live by the sword, I would. But if you live by the sword, you're gonna die by that. If I want to call down angels' armies, I would do all that. Put your sword away. You can't win this battle with swords. I'm gonna win this battle with my blood. And this chaos ensues. They capture Jesus. They begin to take Jesus through this, this, this just terrible trial, fake uh, court case, trying to appeal to different things. They're doing it all at night so they can stay under this guise of secrecy. And Peter's kind of following off, kind of just like hiding in the bushes, trying to see what's going on. So he's like not fully abandoning Jesus, but like halfway abandoning Jesus, trying to be like, you know, just kind of peeking and seeing what's going on. And he's in one of these courtyards and, and people begin to say like, hey man, we've, we feel like we've seen you with him before. And Peter's like, no, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about, man. He does it one more time. And then there's another time it's, you know, gives a little bit more details in scripture. He, he's standing around a, a charcoal fire. Kind of, I, I, I envision like a five gallon drum and kind of warming your hands. And there's this uh, a girl 
And she's like, no, you, you speak like a Galilean. Like you speak like one of his followers. And then Peter, if you read how it actually comes out in scripture, it's as if he is saying, I swear to God, I don't know God. I swear to God, I don't know him. There's crazy irony in that moment. And then after he says this, he hears the rooster. He hears the fact that Jesus called a shot and it is now 100% true. And we see this happen. It says he went out and he wept bitterly. So with everybody's story and their journey to live a life that leaves a good legacy, a legacy worth repeating, you're gonna have to take the first step. You're gonna have to take the impossible step. But you're also, you gotta know that part of your legacy, it is unavoidable part of your legacy is the misstep, the step in the wrong direction, the step where you fall away and everything in you is exactly here. You went out. Again, he didn't just stay there. He says, what's the point of even following closely at this point, which is where many of us have been. Like at best we felt like our religiosity or our Christianity was kind of like, I'm kind of close. Like, how are we? We're kind of close. I'm kind of following from a distant. Most, of, most men in the room would say, I'm following Jesus from a distant. And that's kind of how it's always felt. But after this big fall, he just goes out, just throws a table over, gives up on it all. He goes out, he sits down, hits his knees and weeps bitterly because he knows that he couldn't keep his word. He promised he would never do it again and he did it. He gave a vow and he broke it. He said, this time is the last time and it wasn't. And every man in this room has been there. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And what I love about Peter's story is that somehow, some way, he didn't take the route that Judas did. See, a lot of times we give Judas this really bad rap, but he just did what everybody else did. Every one of those apostles betrayed him. And if you go back and you look at the story of Judas and Peter and run them parallel, what you see is the difference between guilt and shame. You see Judas betray Jesus and out of shame, he goes out and realizes I have done something bad and it doesn't just end there because I did something bad. I am something bad. I am completely unforgivable. And he goes and finds a tree and hangs himself. Now, Peter, I believe in his bitter weeping, he realizes I have done something bad. But I saw the way he looked at me. I saw the things and heard the things that he said to me in those intimate moments. I've come way too far to give up now. And Peter, I believe, lives out one of the Proverbs that says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he still gets up. Now, it wasn't Peter's righteousness. It wasn't his willpower. I believe that God had done some things and worked some things in his life. And he began to, to get back up. He began to stand up. He began to realize that this, is, this cannot be the end but he's definitely in a place of darkness. He's definitely in a place of depression. You see this distance, if you kind of read the post-resurrection parts of the gospel, there's like this weird stuff going on between Jesus and Peter. Like Jesus will tell the ladies, he'd be like, he'll give them this thing to go do. He'll say, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me at Galilee. And I think like, again, I wasn't there, but I think he's like, and say it like I said it. <laughs> Because he's, I, think, I think there's something going on there. And so 
You fast forward, Jesus is appearing to people. There's like these 40 days that kind of pass after he's resurrected. He's appearing to different people. He's appeared to the disciples, but you still have this tension, this unresolved tension between Jesus and Peter, which is I think where most, where a lot of men live. A lot of people just live in this unresolved tension of like, I tried to take some steps. I did some stuff good for a little while. I had a big misstep and now I'm trying to get it on. But like, I just kind of realize, and Jesus, you haven't said this, but I just kind of know things aren't gonna be like they were. Like, you're not gonna be inviting me to go up on any mountains with God and Elijah and Moses anytime soon. Like, it's gonna be different. Like, if, if somebody's gonna go start volunteering in children's ministry or become a small group leader, if somebody's gonna go on the mission trip, like, I, I've DQ'd myself because of my missteps because of that. And that's what's going on between Jesus and Peter. And then they're back doing what they do. John 21, they're out fishing again. I don't know if Peter's the one who led this charge. But time has passed and... Their rabbi is gone. And then he came back and he left some more. And there's a weird in-between moment. They're out in the boat and you get this moment set up where it's early morning. I see the sunrise coming up. They're on the beach. You hear a little bit of the seagulls going and everything else. They're out in the boat. After another common theme here, Peter failed fishing trip caught anything. Peter is out there in the boat. Jesus shows up on the shore post-resurrection and hollers out to them, fellows, y'all caught anything? And Peter can, on a drop of a hat, he recognizes his voice. He knows that's his master. He knows that's his maker. He knows that's the rabbi Jesus. And it says that he throws on his outer garment. Let's read it together. It says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John recognizes this is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. So sometimes your step is gonna be get out of a boat by foot. Sometimes your step is gonna be get out of a boat onto water by foot. Sometimes your step is gonna be backwards and you're gonna fall. And then sometimes, and I think this is the thing that we have to realize when we, after you fall, after you take the step where you fall, (laughs) jump back in. Don't tiptoe your way back in, jump back in and know that we serve a God who's fine with you jumping back in. I think so many times we feel like, oh, well, I mean, you failed, you messed up. You gotta like have three weeks where you don't do something and then you can go back, like jump back in. You're forgiven or you're forgiven. And you gotta be the, like, again, there's some times where we have to go through some spiritual discipline and we have to take some time away to heal what caused the brokenness to happen, but don't disqualify yourself because of your sin. When Jesus says, Look, do you remember how good our relationship was? Do you remember what those few moments where you dug into God's word? Do you remember what it was like on that? Like jump back in. I think today, if here, my word of God to some of you men today is don't walk back in, jump back in. Kick your shoes off, roll your jeans up to your calves and jump back in. He jumps in the water. He swims out to him. And then we see Acts 3, 6. Jesus isn't just cool with Peter's story ending at this reconciliation. So he, he reconciles and restores this moment, but Jesus isn't cool with it just ending there. See what Jesus wants to do in Peter's life is not to just have him as this life where, hey, we're walking together and we just have this good buddy-buddy relationship and we, you know, we go you know, have picnics together on the beach. That's never been what Jesus is after. The whole reason you follow Jesus is so that you can lead other people to become followers of Jesus. The whole reason, again, circle all the way back to the beginning. When he called him out of the boat, what, is he, what did he say he was gonna be? A fisher of men. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. 
And what's wild is we see, we see Peter take that one baby step out of the boat into this crazy life of following Jesus, leads him to take impossible steps. Again, like all of us will, he's gonna take a misstep. He takes a step back. He takes a step back into following Jesus as he goes all in, out of the boat. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna allow you to take what I think is like the pinnacle step for us in our journey to leaving and leading a legacy. And that's being people who step in Jesus' name with Jesus. And this is a story we see in Acts. It's so crazy how all this comes together. Acts 3, 6. So they see this guy, a crippled beggar on the side of the road, kind of at the corner there, and he's begging people for money. And Peter and the guys, they show up and they say, I love what Peter says here. Uh, we, we all can relate as we are uh, uh, feeling the effects of inflation. He says, I have no gold or silver. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have is something way more critical, way more important. And he tells him this. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The same guy who had heard from Jesus, hey, walk out of your boat and start walking with me. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, again, this is Acts 3, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes in the apostles. Uh, what, Jesus, what Peter has already done in this moment, he's received the Holy Spirit. He has preached to a, a giant group of people. He has baptized 3,000 people because he is now not just following Jesus. Jesus is residing inside of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not just thinking about things of Jesus. He is actually doing the very same things that Jesus did. And he t- he tells this guy, it's actually like a direct quote from Jesus from some of the other gospels where he told people to do the exact same thing. He now uses Jesus' words in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and he began to walk. See, leaving a legacy is not about you being someone who made bank or had a great house or lived in a great neighborhood. The truth that you lived a great legacy and will leave one great behind is that other people walk paths of righteousness behind you. That where you live, work and play, you're leading others to do this walk. And he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. I got a text this week that, that showed me like, honestly, like all three of these last steps. And as I know this person's life and I know some of what God's been doing in their story, especially recently, I saw all of this being, able, being something that has actually transpired in their life. As I walk through those steps just now, I want you to listen for those steps in what he shared with me about his story. I got this message from uh, this man, uh, part of MCC, earlier this week, and he had no idea. Um, we didn't sit down and prepare this message together, but this is what he wrote me, and I think it's just uh, one of those of God moments. He said, let me encourage you in telling you that I finished the death of porn book this week. It's a book we recommended to our, our men's ministry. I really recommend it to anybody. Um, if you want a free copy, there's, there's some at the office. You, I'd, I'd love to, to give you some of those. He said, I just finished the death of porn book this week. And man, I never knew how much strength and power Jesus could give me to fight off my addiction to porn. There have been times during this journey where I have been on my knees, bawling my eyes out, begging God to rid this urge from my body and mind. There's been so many victories for Jesus as well. And there have been setbacks though. And through prayer, perseverance, and keeping my eyes on Jesus, I've been able to withstand the enemy time and time again. This war is far from over. Jesus, I love this, Jesus is walking right beside me. 
he is now allowing me, step five here, he is now allowing me to share this experience with men at work and in my family. Praise God for that. That's awesome. And that's honestly, like, that's why I do what I do. Like, I love leading a great church, but man, I actually texted him back. I said, man, I'm just trying to lead a church that my dad needed when he was in his 30s for the hope of, of changing some things, for the hope of saving some families, for the hope of, of letting a few divorces not happen. And what I want you to hear today, whether you're a male or female, is a simple reality that, that movement is greater than mastery. That the, the movement, the, the, the just the small steps, the just taking one step after another is what God is after. Because like the place where Peter began to do what his master Jesus was doing was not something he could do after his first step out of the boat onto the shore. That took a little step. It took an impossible step. It actually, I believe, it actually took him making the misstep and then getting back up and starting all over from scratch. Because our God, I believe, is more concerned with your momentum, with your movement than he is your mastery. And so I wanna leave you today with a few questions. What if your small step as a man could lead to a giant leap for mankind? What if your small step as a man could lead to a giant leap for mankind? See, a lot of times we get caught up in, man, I just, I just, wanted, I just wanna be at the giant leap place already. I just wanna make a huge difference already. I wanna impact mankind already. But what if what God is actually after is you just focusing on the small step that you need to take now? There's a guy named Hewlett Cook and because of his small step in inviting my father to church, the mankind story of me and my two boys is forever different. Because if I had not gone to that church, I would not, as my earthly father was leaving my life, if I had not taken, and my dad had not accepted that invitation, I would have never gotten to the place where I knew that there is actually a heavenly father who loves me and cares for me. And as my earthly father was leaving my life, I became this young, you know, messed up 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kid who became one who was falling in love with a heavenly father that I would not have known existed unless Hewlett Cook, a man in his mid eighties had invited my dad and my sister and me and my mom, as my dad was trying to buy an Oldsmobile station wagon from him on the side of the road if he hadn't taken that one small step of like hey this could be awkward but uh i see you got kids you guys should come to church i have a really good church there do some really good things with kids and so i tell you all this to say like what is your small step going to be this week as you process through things i'd love for you to ask yourself this question as you're praying and processing what small steps are you going to take this week and knowing that God's right there with you. Most of you already know what they are. And then what giant leaps do you hope these lead to? And this is where you get the invitation to dream big. Like some of you, and again, your, your small step may be, hey, my small step is I'm gonna start volunteering in student ministry. And your giant leap, you have no idea about this, but God says, please start believing in me this big. Your giant leap is I'm gonna be up there in the baptistry baptizing a teenager in a few weeks. I'm getting ready to, to actually baptize a woman who's pretty new to MCC. And 
I don't have time, but I, if I could, I'd love to tell you her whole entire story. And we're going to actually try to work together to, to maybe be able to show you a little bit more of even her story. It's an amazing story how God has worked and redeemed her through some really terrible uh, experiences through um, broken Christian religion and even false religion. And now she has taken a few small steps in the right direction, just being a little bit obedient here, a little bit obedient here. And God has moved in her place to this place where she realized she has actually found the true and the real and the, the actual Jesus. And she's surrendering her life to him. And today she's taking that, that big step into her relationship with him, into her faith with him. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to receive communion and then we're gonna sing a song and then I'm gonna baptize her. So please uh, stick around. But my prayer is that you don't, don't leave this on the table. And as you receive communion, you know that it was in the following through of this step to fully have his body broken and fully have his blood be poured out that allowed you to be able to step to the Father at any given moment of any given day and know that he welcomes you in with open arms. And so today as you receive communion, know that this is a step to the Father. If you're curious of like, what, what is my next step after this? Talk to him about it right now. Like this is a golden opportunity to go, Jesus, what, what, what is the one small step that you want me to take this week? What is that one small step? And you have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea. God does. And he's asking you to take it. Let's pray and then sing. Jesus, we thank you for your love and grace. If there is anybody here, Jesus, who needs to take their first step of faith to surrender their life to you, to put their hope and their trust in you, I pray that, that they would that they would take that step today, Jesus. That they would consider baptism, that they would take this step of not just a mental belief, but a physical faith that says, my old life is gone and I am made new. I'm stepping the out of the boat of my normalcy into the water, into the impossible promise that everything that was my old life could be washed away and I could be raised something brand new. Draw us to you, Jesus. It is only by you and through you and for you that we do what we do. In your name.